Art today and what's known as one of the best trios in YWC football talk history. I have a question for the two of you. Obviously, it's Monday, February 19th, but how did you guys manage to survive your first Sunday without football? It's rough. Yeah, it, uh, luckily it went by pretty fast. Like it was the morning and then it was nighttime, and I was like, cool, didn't do a thing. So I was like, I guess I'll take it. It's so hard knowing that's like the first though of so many. Yeah. That wait for that. I'm like, oh my goodness. The first one's always the toughest though, because it's kind of like, hey, once you get through one, you can get through many. Mine was, I was out running errands yesterday. I looked at my fiance and said, so this is what normal people do on a Sunday? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like a grocery store at like two o'clock in the afternoon. And I'm like, I'm usually plastered with my couch right now, but this is, this is interesting. Um, I can go many different ways for this one. Obviously, we're going to talk about the dynasty. Obviously, we're going to talk about the many Patriots coaching hires, like my boy, McGarvin's boy, Sophie's boy, Dante Hightower, new linebackers coach in New England. But I would be remiss because I didn't record after the Super Bowl. I don't want to ask, like, we don't have to go through the game. I just want to ask, obviously, Kansas City won 25-22 in overtime. But all in all, like, in my opinion, wasn't the best game played, but the Super Bowl so much reminded me of a Tom-esque win where, you know, Low scoring and crappy, but when it depended on most, 15 went out there and got it done. And one thing I want to say, too, is someone, I remember someone tweeted it. It may have been you getting involved in this, McGarvin, where someone was like, oh, what happened if they made the extra point? Someone was just like, yeah, you know, there's no overtime. We were already be in bed already. So that's yeah. what that's my quick little summary of the game. For me, what it reminded me of was like the 2019 Super Bowl with the Patriots and Rams because it was like a fully defensive game. Um, like 13 to three was the final score. And it was, yeah, this was like a little bit more um, offensive in nature, but like that first half was just, you know, very low and, you know, both teams stopping the other in crucial moments and things like that. So the whole time I'm watching it, it kind of just reminded me of that. Cause I, I remember watching the 2019 Super Bowl being like, dang, like this is a good game. I'm happy the Pats won, but it's a little boring. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I um I like this game. I didn't um I didn't think it was necessarily boring. It was just uh inevitable is what I felt like. Um once it became clear that San Francisco wasn't gonna put the game away, I was like, Oh, this is this is just gonna be we're just kinda waiting for, you know, fifteen fifteen and red to kinda wrap this one up. Um it felt the entire time like San Francisco was like dominating the game in everywhere but the points. Um and then the first quarter ended and it just kind of, it really slowed down for their offense. And it's kept feeling throughout the, throughout the rest of the game, like, all right, Kansas City's going to do the thing. They're going to do the thing. They're going to do, oh my gosh, they're doing the thing. And bam, they did the thing. And I was like, cool. Um, so it reminded me of the Patriots Super Bowl in that in that same way, where it just felt inevitable. It's like, all right, the Chiefs are going to win it, but I'm really curious to see how they're going to do it. Because at this point, offense isn't really clicking. Their defense is playing a really good game. And San Francisco keeps threatening Right with the with the run game, they keep threatening. You know, McCaffrey's taking it up the middle, seven, eight yard chunks, and you're like, yeah, they're gonna they're gonna put it away. And then they punt, and you're like, okay, they didn't put it away. And the minute like we got into the the, the third quarter, and it was like, all right, Kansas City fumbled, and San Francisco didn't capitalize on that. And I'm like, all right, so the Chiefs are gonna win. We're just gonna see how it, how how they do it in the end. Um, didn't expect it to <laughs> to go to overtime, and I didn't expect you know San Francisco to take the ball and for all that controversy to fall out. But I don't know. It felt like a game where the better team won, right? I know that on paper San Francisco is the better team, but I think the team that was playing better and had been playing better throughout the you know the duration of the playoffs is the Kansas City Chiefs, and they rightfully won. And 
you know, now they're up there in the in the dynasty rankings. And I know some people are going to be real sick to hear that, but we can, you know, we don't have to lie about what they are. They they are what they are. If the Patriots won three Super Bowls in five years, we'd call them a dynasty as well. So the biggest highlight for me in the Super Bowl, besides per- perfectly getting correct the first halftime sh- song, caught up, that was me. Um, <laughs> Was and it wasn't even on the main feed, but it was on the Nickelodeon feed. Having the firmly grasp it for when they fumbled the balls, like it just it. it I, I was like, why am I not watching the Nickelodeon feed right now? And all you hear is the fur. You have to firmly grasp it. I was just losing myself watching those clips on Twitter. Um, I'll say this too because I feel like Brock Purdy's getting a lot of flack for this game, but he played fine. Like you can't. It's not one of those games where you can go like how in twenty twenty. Hey, they lost because Jimmy Garoppolo didn't do this. Brock Purdy played fine, but he for a Super Bowl, you fine's not going to win you a Super Bowl. It's, you got to play perfectly said that. that that's yeah. that's my entire take because um, I'm not a Brock Purdy guy, um, and I was watching it with some friends here, and you know they're like, oh well, you know, Purdy didn't lose him the game, and I'm like, yeah, but he didn't really do anything to win him the game either. Like he was fine, and fine is great in the regular season, and fine is probably okay in the playoffs, but you get to the you know to the playoffs leading to the Super Bowl. Once you get to the big the big dance. Uh, fine, you, you got to be better than fine. Um, unless you're 2015 Peyton Manning. Other than that, you have to be better than fine. So, <laughs> let's be honest. That was that was a defensive carry Super Bowl. Holy cow! That that game was stressful. I, I hated that. Everyone says, "Oh, 2018 was so bad." I say that one was bad mainly because I was salty. Oh. I know Patriots should have won the AFC Championship game that year. Yep, 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 yep. If uh, yep. if Harper doesn't muff that punt, it's a it's a totally different uh, – it doesn't muff that punt in Denver. And, yes, I'm going to keep putting it on him because, holy shit, that was the one game where I'm like, oh, just win here and the rest of the season doesn't matter. And then he muffed it and, yeah, that that whole thing. But, yeah. And Derek Wolf had his way with Tom Brady. Um, yep. So, obviously, today we are talking about this before he came on air too, but New England, there's a bunch of new coaches now. Bob Bicknell, Taylor Embry, Vinny DePalma, love the name. Our guy right here, if you can see it on camera, my 54 is on, Dante Hightower, linebacker's coach. Uh, Tyler Hughes, Ben McAdoo, Robert Kolger, Mike McCarthy, T.C. McCartney, Jamal Lett, Drew Wilkins, Tyquan Underwood, which, by the way, best hair for an NFL coach. Uh, One that really surprised me, not surprised me, but intrigued me, is Kobe Tippett because of who his dad is. Brian McDonough, Jerry Montgomery, Scott Peters, who's a football guy through and through, and Tom Quinn. I'm going to love the new dynamic of having a million voices in there. It could be a good thing, but it can also be a bad thing. I'm just interested to see how this plays out and how our wonderful friend who's sitting to my right gets to talk about it throughout the next few months. Yeah, I mean, that'll. it's definitely going to be interesting. I mean, you know, every Tuesday we get to speak to the assistant coaches, and I think once a month we get to speak to, like, all of them. So it's really going to be cool to hear all these different voices, especially since Gerard Mayo really emphasized collaboration so much already. And I think that's actually kind of what this team needs because they've been under the influence of one voice for so long running the show completely. And now this way he's going to delegate. He's going, you know, my guess is Gerard Mayo will have a pretty strong hand in the defense because he's good at that. That's, you know, he knows that, but the offense, I, fully expect Alex Van Pelt to be kind of running the show there because that's all about the delegating and Jordan May doesn't really know the offense. He's mostly served as a defensive coach. So I'm really excited to see how that goes. I also do want to mention um, there was reports from uh, Doug Kite earlier today that Brian Belichick, Mike Pellegrino and Troy Brown are all returning. 
Brian will be back as a safeties coach. Mike will be back at cornerback coach. Troy Brown will not be back as a wide receivers coach. So he will be, we don't know what role he's going to have at the moment, but we do know that he's back. If I had to guess, I'm going to guess special teams, probably kick uh, returners because that's what he's good at. And that's where he should be. Um, you know, he has plenty of experience with that one. So if I had to throw a guess in there, that's where I'm leaning towards. But we just know it will not be wide receivers because they already have, you know, a wide receivers coach and an assistant wide receivers coach. Yeah, I um, I don't know. It was it was interesting because they announced it and everyone on the timeline was, you know, throwing a little party because uh, <laughs> Troy Brown was no longer the wide receivers coach, which I, I you know, support that as well. Um, and then Doug just came in and threw a little cold water on it. Like, oh, he will be back. And it's like, oh, okay. But uh, if he's back to coaching uh, returners like he had prior to taking on the wide receivers role, that's totally fine. Uh, the Patriots already have um, some talent at kick returner anyway, right? You have uh, Marcus Jones, the forgotten man. Um, yes, can't wait. Can't wait. One of my favorite players. Um you have uh, Demario Douglas, who you know handled the punt returns last year. I'm curious to see if he's back on it because he made a few, uh, and by a few I mean like seven uh, really poor decisions uh, throughout. Uh, they tried to real peppers in that role when uh, Douglas was out with a concussion. He made a few bad decisions. It was it was just weird. And then they obviously stuck Miles Bryant back there, and he's a free agent. So I'm I'm curious to see you know if that is indeed what Troy Brown is doing, and if so, who they who they line up back there. Obviously. You know, super early. We don't know who they add in free agency, who they add in the draft or anything. But I think you put him back there with the talent, right? Because, I mean, this is the guy who I remember he coached Dante Moncrief into being like a pretty decent kick returner. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that was crazy. So, like, I'm, I'm curious to see what he does in, you know, going back to that role with more explosive players like Marcus Jones or like, you know, Pop Douglas. One thing I've also noticed with Marcus Jones, too, is, like, I feel like once he went out in week two, he was almost kind of forgotten about for a little while, yeah. where, you know, all the focus was on, like, oh, we lost Christian Gonzalez, oh, we lost Matthew Judon at some point. Like, I feel like he was kind of forgotten about, and he is such an underrated player that is just so crucial to the team. I mean, what he plays his heart out every time he's on that field. You can completely tell. And I was just, like, when he – he spoke with mass live he has like a, he's on their podcast this week coming out wednesday but they like released like the little like teaser and he basically said like you know i'm so excited like i'm fully healthy i'm ready to go and it's just like that just got me so excited i'm like i'm ready to see him out there playing music to my ears yeah you, you gotta love it um i think the not the throw of the cold water that we we're all talking about, in which I want to say it's too, but it's great to see Doug back at work. Obviously, we know everything he's gone through. I had a beautiful article last week that he wrote. Um, but I believe the Pellegrino and Belichick stuff, I think it was rumored at the time, too, like when they were making like, who's staying and who's going. But I think Doug basically confirmed it. Um, the Troy, like, look, Troy Brown, wide receivers coach, is what it is. I'm excited for like all the new voices that are going to be in there. The one that really intrigues me is the Ben McAdoo hire, though, because I know. Everyone likes to look at, oh, he was so terrible with the Giants and yada, yada, yada. But the rumors of his quarterback evaluation have been coming out. And also, to the I love watching those videos with uh, the special teams coach. I keep forgetting if it's Jeremy Springer or if it's Stevens. But him, Covington, and Van Pelt, the videos that the Patriots sold. Yeah. Jeremy Springer. Yeah. Just Springer. So the, the, the videos the three of them did, too, to kind of show, hey, like, what we want to do. And I remember everyone saying, like, the – 
we're taking what Van Pelt said and going, oh, no, 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 like not taking it out of context and going like, they're not drafting quarterback. It's like, guys, we don't know what they're going to do yet. But if I'm buying socks and running back, uh, 38's in a contract here. So I'm going to look at him to have a major bounce back. But we'll have to wait and see with the, obviously having the high ankle sprint, uh, the, the ankle injury towards the end of the year. But it's just, it's that excitement for New England to where, I'm going to say this, there's no, like, we don't know if they're going to be a winning team, if they're going to be a losing team. It's just kind of like, uh, hey, rip the band-aid off and see where you can go with this roster as a whole. I just want to throw the Ben McAdoo stuff out there because I feel like everyone's going to take it as, oh, look at what he's done, like the giant stuff, but then you got to think about it. There's a reason why he got the head coaching job. It's kind of like the stuff you see Steve Spagnuolo going through now where it's like crafted some beautiful Super Bowl defensive schemes, but yet his head coaching tenure was a uh, – uh, how do you say this? His coaching tenure was like a piece of poo that was lit on fire that was just – <laughs> ransacked and smeared all over the walls. I'm sorry, but this well, St. Louis Rams were a shit show at the time of his hiring, so I feel like a lot of that's taken out of context. Yeah, um, and with the whole Ben McAdoo thing, I um, I, I know we talked about it a little bit on the last time I was on, but I, I really mm-hmm. do, it really frustrates me when people are so reductive with coaching. They're like, oh, well, that guy was fired. He's obviously bad. And I'm like, name me one good coach who hasn't been fired. Like, name, name just one. The greatest coach of our, of our lives was just fired. Like, you know, oh, mutually agreed to part ways, whatever. Even Carol the person too. that they're propping, Pete Carroll was fired. Andy Reid was fired. You know what I mean? From the Philadelphia Eagles. Like, it, it yeah. happens. And so it, it frustrates me when people are like, well, obviously, this is the guy who was fired. So he's obviously terrible. And I'm like, this is someone who's available. <laughs> and if they're inv- available, that means someone let them go along the way. You know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah. it's such a bad way of thinking. Uh, but with the Ben McAdoo thing, I, I, I just think it's good to have more – um, like we've said a few times on the show so far, it's uh, good to have more voices. But more than that, I think it's it's good to have a Father an offensive mind coming in yeah. who is also bringing in other coaches, right? Because I, I'm i sure we're all aware because we're Patriots fans, but across the league, I don't know that everyone is necessarily aware of how bare the cupboard was for the, you know, for the Patriots with regards to the coaching. It, it was such a small staff, right? And McDaniels left and he took a bunch of guys with him and none of those guys were actually replaced, right? A, a few of them were here and there, but like none of those guys were actually replaced or adequately replaced. Um, and so it's good to have a big roster of coaches again, just, just to kind of avoid the brain drain that, you know, the Patriots went through a few years ago and never recovered from. So I'm, I'm fine with bringing on Ben McAdoo, um, especially because it's not like he's going to be running the offense and, even if he were, I don't think offense was necessarily his issue. Um, and back to the coaching thing real quick with the whole like, oh, yeah, look at his tenure with the Giants. It was terrible. Uh, yeah, because they've been such powerhouses since he left. That's not the case. <laughs> Get over it. Goodness. Um, the other thing, too, I want to say with the Ben McAdoo thing, I, like I said, I feel like it's the father figure in the sense to where he could kind of help draw like certain little things here and there. It's kind of like. Look, all of us are still relatively young, so we know when we were in school and stuff, you still go to your parents, you ask them for like, hey. So, like, how do you do this? Or, like, I need help with this. And then he can kind of go to Gerard and, like, kind of walk him through things. It's kind of like you basically, like, helping him ride a bike for the first time. Because that's ultimately what he is. And also, to the whole firing thing, coaching literally is a profession where you get hired to get fired. Everyone's going to be fired at one point in their career. So, I take that with a grain of salt. I just feel like everyone looks at, oh, but he got fired from here. Oh, he did this. Or, oh, he did that. Where it's just like, like you said, Bill Belichick was fired this year. Mike Vrabel was fired this year. Mm-hmm. Pete Carroll was fired this year. None of the, those three guys are coaching right now. We'll see who ends up getting the San Fran DC job, but I still feel like it's going to be Brandon Staley. But this is the whole thing with New England now, guys. It's going to be different. I'm, I'm going to use the word exotic because we don't know what we're, what we're getting. But I still think there's going to be growing pains throughout the first month of the season to where if they get off to like an 0-2, 0-3 start, 
don't be like lighting torches, even though, and I condemn listening to Boston Radio, Felger is going to tell you otherwise. I, I think one thing you have to also consider is like we, oh, we know Van Pelt is leading the offense off the yeah. field. We do not know who is leading the offense on the field. We do not know that yet. And until we know that, you can speculate all you want about the coaching staff. You can, you know, speculate on how good they're going to be, how bad they're going to be. But you, we just don't know. You cannot make these conclusions without a roster for them to kind of either succeed with or screw up. <laughs> that's going to be the ultimate goal. And that's just like what we don't know. So until they figure out who is leading that offense on the field, you can't really say much on the offensive side of the ball right now. Yeah, because they could have they could have an all star suite of coaches, but if you go out there and you're sticking Bailey Zappi in a quarterback, it's not going to look right. Like I don't care who's coaching what, like it's just not going to look right. You need to go out and get your guy and <laughs> my goodness, just throwing him directly to the defenders. Oh goodness, I you know what? This is not a this is not a podcast for me to back number four, but I want to, but I'm not gonna. It's kind of like with the, the, I just said that because obviously last time you and I spoke we. The, we bonded over Bailey Zappi throwing the most confident interceptions in the world. Um, <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> but um, it's it's just going to be like, – because here's the thing, too. And I said I said this myself the other day because I was scrolling on TikTok, and what do I see? But Colin Coward already predicting who's going to win the divisions and who's going to be wild card. And I literally looked at that and said, you can't go and say those for legitimate reasons until at least the beginning of May. We don't even know if free, what happens in free agency yet. Hell, we haven't gone to the combine yet. So until we get to the combine, we evaluate talent. Free agents get brought in. Free agents get lost. Draft picks are made. We don't know what to expect. So for the next 60-ish days or so, until we get to Detroit, this is all just rumor and speculation and just wait and see. So like for Patriots fans out there, guys, just pump the brakes because we all know that eventually – it's, we're going to get there. But for now, it's all just, like we said, it's just talk and talk and people wanting one thing to happen or another thing to happen, but we'll have to wait and see what happens. But one thing you can do for right now is watch the Dynasty. Uh, the word was used with it that I'm trying to remember the quote at the beginning. Oh, yeah. that I believe it was football is a narcotic. I'm trying to remember who exactly said it, but our, it's just – I'll let one of you guys go first on describing the episode. So I watched the episode a little bit before it came out just to prep some content. Um, and I remember, I actually watched every episode two to three times. Um, the first time I watched it, I just took it in for, you know, to just see what it was all about. Cause I really didn't, I, I've read the book and everything, but I didn't know what to expect. And so watching that, I was in absolute shock. So when I went back, I started just, you know, taking little notes and writing down quotes and all these things. And it was what I found really, really interesting was to hear Bledsoe so many years out from what had happened, talk about it. And there was one quote that he he I think it was, he was talking about this like prank he pulled on Brady where they, you know, dyed his feet bright purple. And he was like, yeah, this guy was never a threat. And that to me was like the that quote is like the one that has stuck with me throughout those two episodes because it's it's so true. This was a kid who no one expected to do anything, and all of a sudden he takes Bledsoe's job because. And then the other thing too, 
that I do have to throw out is the whole Bill Brady debate. Listen, what Brady did on the field, no one's ever going to dispute. Like, he's the best. And he is one of the, he's probably the largest reason why they won six Super Bowl championships. There's no denying that. But saying that Bill had nothing to do with it or very little to do with it is not fair to say at all. And I think you can start by going back to that decision when Bledsoe came back from injury and he stuck with Tom. Even after Tom had that horrible game, I think it was against the Rams, he still said, Tom is our quarterback and that is what we're doing. Bill made those decisions without, if Bill had said, no, we're going back to Bledsoe, Patriots probably wouldn't have won six Super Bowl championships. So I think going back to Bill's decisions, that is a large reason for how they won. And so, you know, I've always had this belief that they couldn't have done it without each other. Mm-hmm. And I think that point proved that even more. For sure. I think that's, that's really well said. I know that, you know, everyone wants to um, just kind of pick, pick who, who did more, who did what or, or whatever. Um, when everyone involved has always said, uh, you know, it was, you know, it was both of them. It was both of us. It was, you know, when I wouldn't be the coach I am without, you know, without, Tom, I wouldn't be the quarterback I was without, you know, Brady, I mean, without, uh, without Bill and Brady even said that in the documentary, um, or in the, in the first episode, uh, second episode of the documentary. Um, it, so it was, you know, it, it was really insightful though. I, um, I, I quite liked it. I know that when it dropped last week, um, or not really last week, a few days ago on Friday, um, there was like this weird negativity on the timeline about it. And I, I went in and I watched it earlier today. And I was like, all right, let me see what everyone's so upset about. And I couldn't find it. I just like couldn't, I didn't see what everyone else was seeing to be so upset about. They're like, oh, this piece on Belichick. And I'm like, where? Which, which part? Because I, uh, <laughs> did I, did I miss that? Did I, re- did I fast forward? Did I got to rewind or something? Like, I, I didn't understand that. I thought it was really insightful. The first few episodes, the first two episodes, obviously, you know, you start at the beginning of it all. Um, I thought the, I mean, I was here for the content between Nugent and Brady getting their apartment and telling those stories. I was like, Holy shit, I can't believe they have footage on this. That's so sick. Um, and then I think I'm realizing this is the first time I've ever heard Drew Bledsoe talk. Like, I mean, like, actually talk. Um, that guy is fucking hilarious. That, that is a funny dude. And I really like his energy. And uh, I, I wrote it down in my notes as well because I thought the quote was just so good. Um, when he said, uh, <laughs> this wasn't a guy I was worried about, about Tom. And I'm like, that is so real. Especially... In the next episode, when he's talking about it, and it is very clear that he was not happy with the decision, right? He went to he went to Bob uh, Bob Kraft about it um, about getting his job, more or less about getting his job back, which I think is a little you know a little sneaky, like you don't go above your coach, but that's you know neither here nor there. Um, but I can like I felt his frustration, and I'm just like, holy shit, I get it. Um, and that whole you know after the Rams game. He uh, he said in the confessional, he said, um, oh, uh, the shine is off the nickel. Maybe I can weasel my way back in. And I was just like, holy shit, this is so honest. Because most people wouldn't want to, you know, that reflects poorly on you. You don't want to make it seem like you're you're not rooting for the guy ahead of you. You know, oh, I'm a great teammate and I'm just rooting for the team and whatever. I just think it was so honest for him to just be like, yeah, you know, he played poorly. And I was like, oh, shit, it's time. Um, so I, I I really, really liked that. And I really hope we get more Bledsoe content. Um in next up ep- in the next episode, I know that that'll probably be the end of 
Bledsoe, because, you know, obviously we're at, at this point in the AFC Championship game, he's going to go out and win it against, spoiler alert, win it against the Steelers and take him to the Super Bowl. And Tom, you know, kind of finishes it all out from there. And then Bledsoe gets traded. So I hadn't I, gotten to that part in the book yet. Dang. Oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. Spoilers. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm really hopeful we get a lot of him in the next episode because I know our time with him is short. But that is a funny guy. I, I like him. I quite like him. He has such a dry sense of humor. That oh, I love it. I love it. Was, it. Was so funny but the one thing you said too i just had to point out the robert him going to robert Kraft. i mean this was like i think for him he went to Kraft because Kraft was the one who did the 10 year 100 100 million dollar <laughs> contract so for him he's like you know this guy just gave me 100 million dollars like play me yeah <laughs> i'm not here just to you yeah. know look pretty on your bench for that kind of money and to, um, and, and to Kraft's credit i think he handled it really well just coming back and saying hey if he doesn't want you to start, we're just not going to do that. And I'm like, holy shit, that is that is just the right way to do it. Knowing that you have the financial commitment and all that, and knowing you know how how much Kraft loves his players, right? When he when he's just like, oh, he's like another son to me. Yeah. Loyal. So um, like, I can only imagine it was tough, uh, especially after that loss, to, to you know look your quote unquote next son in the face and tell him, hey. You're gonna sit for a bit because <laughs> we're gonna ride with Brady. That that must have been tough. So uh, I commend him for you know knowing when to stay out of it and just kind of going because we all know if this was Cleveland and now it's Jimmy Haslam, he'd be back starting the next week. I love hated though how it ended on the Brady getting his ankle role play. Yeah. I, oh, the song choice was incredible too on uh oh, shipping yeah. up to holy shit. <laughs> I just like because I, I, I know like hey going to this game this is where Bledsoe comes in because you figured they'd like finish the story with Drew Bledsoe. Um, but one player I'm going to say that I really like that's getting a lot of airtime in this. And for a lot of the younger fans out there, I don't really think they realize how much this man had to do with the Patriots. That's Moyer Malloy. The fact that oh, he's yeah. gotten so much yes. time because, yeah. you know, for a lot of people, they think, hey, Rodney Harrison and everything like that. But this is a spoiler alert from the book, but Bill brought in Rodney and effectively told Moyer, hey, you're done. And like guys were going to his house and consoling him. And like I said before, if you had it, either wait till Friday or read the book. I can't reach that enough but that i loved and also to the fact that the um the one scene where ty law malloy and brady went out for dinner and tom was yeah. just like yeah i'm not giving the job back and they're like all right, <laughs> all right Rook. you know you know where they're like all right all right they're like look at the boxing of this kid like who the fuck do you think he is and then it's just like ty law then, literally said he's like i'm yeah. listening to this like what the heck yeah. is he saying like you know in my head i'm like okay okay but in my head i'm like what the heck <laughs> yeah he's basically just like it, uh, like it's like the one thing, yeah, you nod your head, but inside you're like, yeah, there's no way in hell you're starting, like you're keeping this job, kid. But that, the tech mobile thing I love too, where it's just like, yeah. you didn't realize where if you hit your foot hard enough, it restarts the game. So we just, <laughs> been there. we've all been no. there. <laughs> <laughs> but like, we uh, all knew Tom was competitive, but like to hear these stories about him, especially that one, that was like, I was sitting by myself watching this like just laughing out loud you know like when you're like sitting alone laughing you feel like such a loser like that was me but i was just like almost crying laughing at these stories like the purple saw you know the per the dying his feet purple yeah. and this one it was so fun to hear just like how laid back and fun things were because i think when people think about like the patriot way and the patriot dynasty and that's it definitely this is what it became but it, it was so serious and everything was about winning nothing was ever you know it was winning over fun Type I also, and, uh, keep going, Sophie. I was just gonna say, and I think what these two episodes really did was just show like the personalities of these players we we got to know so well during that time, but like actually seeing their personalities 
off the field, not, you know, involving football, like knowing Tom was stomping his foot during tech mobile. So it would reset. So he wouldn't have to go like, what was it? Streak across the neighborhood. naked, (laughs) Like, you know, things like that, where I, I really, really appreciated that aspect of it. I also like the fact too that they got Tom's family involved in the interviews that like they had his dad and his mom and his sister in there, basically going through Tom's whole upbringing and stuff. And I, I know the one when he was a baseball player and then his high school interview was just like very, like we've seen those before, but I just like, like those little touches there. Even the other thing I was going to say too, I didn't mean to cut you off, but was the fact that Drew's wife was involved in it as well and how she voiced her frustration and saying like the kids and how he was brought in and he was just poster child for the franchise, but then how he's pushed aside and even going into the whole stuff with Bill and Cleveland and the art Modell stuff with like the hangings of Modell and Belichick, when he cut Bernie Kozar, like Apple's doing a very good job of this. And I'm excited to see, because I feel like episode three is going to happen and it's just going to take off into this is what happened here. This is what happened in Houston. And then this is what happened in Jacksonville. So it's going to be very exciting to see how this documentary unfolds. I know I spoke to Pat, Pat Lane was there a couple weeks ago and we spoke about it. He's seen them all. He's telling me the process with that. Like, cause that's Sophie. Have you seen every episode or did you see the first two? I have not. I'm actually doing it week by week, two at a time, but I am going to, I am watching them a little early. I do have the early access because I want to get the best content possible out. And so being able to kind of, pro, you know, like I said, I watch, I've been watching, I'm watching every episode two to three times. I want to make sure that I'm processing everything that's said. And, you know, if I'm typing up a quote at one point and I miss another, but I go back and watch, I can then catch that quote. So I just want to make sure I'm getting the best content out there for everyone. I watched episode one twice. That's because I fell asleep during the first time that I watched it. And before we say anything, no, I wasn't bored. It's because it came out. So last week, the first two episodes released at like 10 o'clock at night on the Thursday. So I'm like, all right, I'll start watching this. And then lack of better words, couch kind of swallowed me up. And next thing I know, I open my eyes and you see the credits rolling. Hey, that's okay. I was up till, cause I got early access a little, um, I was like, you know, I, ha- I was taking my dad to the Bruins game on Thursday night for his birthday and so I come home and I was up till like four or 5 a.m. that night, just watching, watching them and getting content out because we were, we were allowed to start posting content that morning at 3 a.m. And so I wanted to make sure. So I was up all night. Dedication. Just, yeah, I was making, like I said, I wanted to make sure I was getting that content out for everyone to read right when they woke up on Friday morning because this was so, ta- this has been talked about for so long. And the other thing I've loved is like, getting to see like Tom and Edelman and some of the other guys like react to it on social media. The Leo, the Leo meme. Yeah. Like it was, it's just been like so funny to see like, they're like, cause they're reliving all this too. They, they obviously lived through it, but I think for them it's been really fun. Cause like they obviously did these interviews and I don't know if they saw it before, you know, I don't know that process, but for them, it's the first time they're getting to sit back and watch what happened. Yeah, Rather than see how it was all put together. I, yeah, that that's supremely interesting. I, I would love to know the timeline on when these interviews were done. Um, not not that I think it necessarily impacts it in a large way, but I I wonder how differently uh, Bill would reflect on some of the things in the wake of his mutual you know parting of ways, or you know how how much differently you know. Yeah, Edelman reacts to everything with everything that has gone down because obviously he's been pretty vocal in the in the last few months about how things needed to change in, uh, in Foxborough and they did and you know with all with all deference to Bill and all that. Um, but I'm curious to see how differently he would have approached it, you know, in the wake of all the changes that have come, or if Bill would have been involved at all. I'm so glad that he is though, 
um, just because I think it's really important that um, we just, we get that look into how he thinks outside of the last few years, right? Because I know that, you know, we all have opinions on Bill. We all, you know, we all see how he's kind of ended up kind of surly, kind of, you know, curmudgeon-y, really kind of more reserved. And some watching some of those clips, right, some of his press conferences, I'm like, holy shit, he used to really talk. Like, he used to, like, get in there and he used to be real insightful. So I'm like, that is so interesting. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how it looks um, as we enter – the 2003 season, right? Because 2002 was obviously a wash that wasn't a very good team. Um, uh, and 2001 was their magic carpet ride. Like, every, like it was all sunshine and rainbow. So I'm really curious to see how it how it starts to look with the, you know, with the, the release of Lawyer Malloy and everything that happened in that 2003-2004 season where they, you know, won the, what was it, the 16 straight games or something to that effect from 2003 to the end of 2004. Um, and, I re- and I really, really, really want to see what it looks like um, how they address 2005 to like 2000 and, you know, uh, really 2007 ish, even though I kind of know how that's going to go, but really 2011, because yeah, they went undefeated in, in 07 and they were, you know, a great team at that point, but it was kind of sandwiched between some really lean years. 05 wasn't, wasn't a good year. 06 wasn't a very good team either. 08 Tom Brady obviously gets hurt. So we're obviously going to get that covered in a lot, but 09 was one of the worst Patriots team we've seen since, you know, yeah ever so i'm really curious to see how they answer the whole because it's the dynasty um and at this point everyone effectively cuts the dynasty into two separate two separate phases if you will so i'm really curious to see how they address the the middle years where things were dark what i think is so interesting too is like you know we all know tom brady played for so long but you watch these clips of like you know the 2001 season 2000 season and all that and you're like I think, like, for my mind, I was like, holy crap, like, this made it even more real seeing who he was playing alongside at that point in his career to then knowing who he played alongside 20 years down the line. You know, I think it, it's truly getting to, like, watch this all back um, has really put an emphasis on just how long this guy truly played because th- yeah. it's insane. That's just, that's just it. Like, it's – like, you're right. Like, how – you see him wearing – what was the, the helmet the – the riddle revol- re- re- revolution where everyone's just like that does not look right on your head like how he was running in his early days or even like i'm actually really excited too for the 2000 and like like five six because even still like how like after they lost super bowl they didn't win another playoff game until they beat the what was it the texans in 2011 the divisional round because they didn't win because all nine ravens lost wildcard lost and they had the jets yep. upset in 2010 yep. and then and 11 then, they beat they beat the stuffing out of the uh that was the Letterman game. Broncos. Yeah. Oh, that was, yeah. That was the year of the Letterman game, wasn't it? The uh Yeah. Well, no, 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 the Letter- they, the Letter- they that pounded was the Houston. Game. That was was that 12 or 11? That was 12. 11 was the Broncos that were coming off that OT win against the Steelers, but then they oh, took yeah, the yeah. out of the Broncos in the playoffs. And they beat the stuffing out of the Broncos, and I remember Tom Brady punching into that game and it caused a huge huge brawl at the end, at the other end of it. Same. And then 2012, I will never forget it because it comes up all the time with the pictures of like Connor Barwin, Whitney Merciless, JJ Watt rolling in Gillette Stadium with the Lettermans in the backpacks. And then you got curb stomp 42 14. <laughs> and that was on Monday Night Football, too. I'm excited to see that. Um, but a little question I've been always thinking of with the Patriots, and I've never asked this on here before, and I'm going to say my opinion on this first. But when you look at what teams are truly, truly the best teams of the dynasty eras, for as good as some of those early teams were, 
there was something about when you look back at the 2016 team and think, holy crap, there's a lot of good football players on that team. Mm-hmm. I, know, I, I know 2007 was probably the best team, but 2016 got the job done. 2007 didn't get the job done. So that's why if I had to rank the two of them, I would put 2016 above there because I know everyone like, looks at the comeback, but if you remember 2016, they weren't supposed to get there. They, that wasn't supposed to be the year. And even to the how you saying, Sophie, Belichick made Tom and Tom made Belichick. That's a season truly where you see Bill Belichick at his best, considering beat Arizona, who's good, beat Miami, who Miami wasn't really that good, but still. And the fact, too, that Houston, that Thursday night game where they won, I think it was 27 to nothing with Jacoby Brissett at quarterback, who he broke his finger, I believe, during that game, just kind of goes to show. And their only losses, too, were considering Brissett with a broken finger to Buffalo and against Seattle because they missed a pass interference on Gronk late in the game. So, yep. That's, yeah, that's really special too. That's that's really interesting. I really think the um, when I think about my favorite Patriots teams, the teams that I think was like the best uh, team they've had, uh, obviously discounted two thousand seven, who obviously didn't get it done. Uh, Twenty fourteen, I thought that that team was absolutely yeah. loaded. Like just just Brian looking Stork back on there. it, <laughs> Brian Stork, yeah, Brian Stork, they put him in center and fixed the whole O line. Um, that, you know, you had JoJo LaFell playing really well that year. That was uh, his first year in New England. He played supremely well. They went Great out and traded for Oh yeah, after the, the <laughs> catching the first touchdown in the Super Bowl, who would have thought? Um, they they went out. They traded for Akeem Ayers. He played really well. Darrell Revis, Brandon Browner, uh, Jonathan know, Casillas. Uh, right. They brought they just brought back Patrick Chung. That was his first year back after a year away in, in Philly. That team was just like low key, really, really stacked. Um, and I'm really I'm really excited to see to see them pay homage to that team because that was a team that obviously broke the drought, right? Because they hadn't, they hadn't been, you know, they hadn't won a championship at that point in 10 years. And everyone's like, Oh, is Brady the goat? Oh, three rings is, is less than four and whatever the case is. And that was the one that kind of changed the narrative and that really kickstarted the whole thing. So I think that that 2014 team was absolutely incredible. And obviously you have, you know, Two of the Patriots, uh, two Patriot coaches on that team, and you know Dante Hightower, Gerard Mayo. Even though Mayo didn't pay, play in the Super Bowl, yeah, Jamie Collins that year. That team was insane. As I'm like naming them, I'm like, holy shit, that team was insane. With Chandler with Jones, that, Rob, Rob Ninkovich, it was, yeah, goodness. With that team, though, what I think, what I'm so excited for that episode covering because I know it's going to have to be their like back to back episodes that they're going to leave you on that cliffhanger going into the next week. Is obviously you have Butler make the insane interception that year, 2014, and then. Go to the next year, he's benched in the Super Bowl. And I cannot wait to finally hear what happened. Like, that for me is something that has stood out when I knew they were making this because, th- like, something has to be said about it. They're not just going to, like, totally breeze over. Like, I don't know if they we're finally going to get a reason, but just to hear what, what happened in that game a little bit more, I cannot wait. Are you excited to see them end it on Brian Flores just screaming, Malcolm, go! It's like, what are you saying? <laughs> If they do that, I'm going to stand up and applaud. I'm not the kind of person yeah. like I like also I'm not the kind of person and I hate when people do this with clapping after the airplanes. I will stand up in my living room if they end on Brian Florida saying, three safety, Malcolm, go. If they end on that, that is cinema right there. I am you have sorry. to record that. We oh, need yeah. to like prop your phone up and get a recording. I'm curious to see how they do the Malcolm Butler thing as well, because I'm of the belief that um it's not nearly as nefarious as we all want it to be. Like people are like, oh, Bill lost the Super Bowl because of his ego. Um, I just think it's it's, you know, that happened in 2017. Uh, it is now 2024, and we still don't know what happened. Um, and I feel like if it was something like, oh yeah, Bill lost this game, someone would have said something. Um, I just think it's really interesting that uh, everyone who's in the know has kept it buttoned up. So I'm, I'm curious to see if they if they say anything or if Malcolm 
does say something because it feels like he seems to think it was it was deserved. Um, I know he didn't play well in the playoffs in that Tennessee game. He played really, really poorly, and everyone's like, oh, if Malcolm Butler played, we would have won that game. Um, but the sneaky, sneaky truth of it is if Jonathan Jones doesn't break his foot um, against Tennessee, the Patriots win that Super Bowl. That was like the actual key. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, it's because, you know, Butler was out. That's the reason they lost. I'm like, no, it's it's because they were missing Jonathan Jones. And so the configuration got all fucked up, right? You have Eric Rowe outside, and it's like, all right, that's that's kind of where he needs to be. Um, and once they moved moved it around in the second half, you ended up having Johnson Batamosi in the slot. And that's not where, that's not that. And I know he played fine that year and everyone's like, oh, he's kind of pretty good. And I'm like, he's fine. Um, <laughs> I, I, I just can't help but think like, if Jonathan Jones is healthy, he's in that slot and Nelson Aguilar isn't giving him the business. So that was, that's what I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing that as well. Or if Zach Ertz was ruled down by Gene Steratore, or if Corey Clement, you know, was actually ruled out of bounds. Am I a little biased against Gene Serator? Maybe just a spigeon. Um, but you know what? Uh, that's that's just the thing about football. You just you play the game to, and then shit happens. I, I think it's the same thing too with that Malcolm Butler one. The other thing I'll say about the documentary: this is one person we haven't talked about yet. But I'm sorry. I love how much Ernie Adams exposure we're getting. Yes, holy cow! Yeah, that was a pleasant surprise. Yeah, I'm watching that and I'm like, I want to play for this guy. Like, I feel like I could like obviously like I can't. Yeah, like, I have my arms are like noodles. I can't like pick up anything. I'm like the weakest person ever. But I'm like, I can go like run through a wall for Ernie Adams. <laughs> like, like watching him. Like he's just so passionate, and I love it. I even love it too how he's describing the drive into the stadium and the mood in the stadium for that divisional round game in 2001, yep. where he's just yep. like. All this stuff in the snow is playing in our favor. And even too, um, Willie McGinnis is just such a, a part. I feel like pe- not people forget about, but you always remind yourself of like how great of a guy this was. And even to him giving them the business and then Vrabel going a little bit too far. It's just yeah. like, oh, I feel like they recorded this probably over time periods and stuff because like, or probably throughout last offseason though. But it's it's basically everything I, we wanted it to be and more. And I'm going to say this again. If you haven't, go read the book because it goes into a lot more detail. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I was looking at some stuff too from that second episode because I feel like we talked a lot a lot about the first episode in our favorite quotes. There's one quote that like they ended the, the second episode on that cracked me up as well, which it was Ty Law about how Adam Vinatieri was like the reason for that snowball game, and he goes, "Yeah, thank God for Adam Vinatieri. They should bronze his damn foot for real. <laughs> like, like put Adam Vinatieri's foot on top of your damn car, like it's a Rolls Royce." <laughs> that was such a good quote. That um, one just, I'm sitting there like, can you imagine like just Adam Vinatieri? Like, I'm like, of course, the first thing I'm picturing is like the car with his foot on top. Yeah, with, and with a gold foot on it. Yeah. Oh, God, buy that. <laughs> Yeah. Um, to your point, you said uh, Ernie Adams. You'd love the amount of Ernie Adams we're getting. Um, uh, someone I was not expecting to get as much as we did, but it really did remind me, is uh, we got, we're getting a lot of Scott Pioli, right? And I mentioned it, uh, I think it was when I was on with you, Griff, last time I was on, um, in that, you know, everyone's like, oh, you know, Gerard Mayo needs to get full control over everything and, and all that, just like Bill. Um, and I kind of pointed out like bill didn't really get that either it was a lot of scott pioli early on um and i think this documentary is doing a really good job highlighting that like that was his right hand man right if, if ernie's is left and scott's his right but that was that was the trio right there um and i feel like scott pioli just gets forgotten right because he left he you know ended up in atlanta everyone's kind of just forgot that he was like such a huge part of those early years um and bill doesn't become bill without him right obviously you know 
we're, we're not talking about the players on the field. We're talking about just in, in terms of his executive acumen, player acquisition, you know, just working the front office doesn't happen if he doesn't have Scott Pioli by his whole by his side the whole time. And I'm super glad they brought him in for a lot of this. And I hope we get more up until the time that he leaves. Of the exact same way. Of the exact same way. It was great to see him. Uh, by the way, the quote I was saying earlier, I got it up here. Um, it's a, this is actually it was Pioli who said this quote. This game is like a narcotic. We would do anything to stop the fear of losing anything. It was that quote there that that was the one I was thinking of earlier. It just because that's what it is. It's it's like a narcotic. It's no matter if you're involved in the sport, if you're fans of the sport, if you're like on the field, off the field, like podcasting, like McGarvin and I do, covering pop slash podcasting, like Sophie does. It's just oh, this game is so much fun to watch, and we love it, and that's why we're talking about it. Because at the end of the day, we're all sick. We're all sickos for it. Yeah. I want to see what I really want to see is like, we know like, like during this season, the Patriots had like these like different like sweatshirts and shirts that they were wearing with the little sayings on the back. Take that damn Scott Pioli, like quote, put it everywhere on a damn t-shirt sweatshirt. I don't care. And just have them wear that 24 seven, like ingrain that in their freaking blood because that quote is what they need to remember. Like the winning ways is like, we can, you can only talk about it for so long, and that's what I love about this new coaching staff, too, is it's because it's a new coaching staff that really doesn't know as much about the winning ways or played in those but haven't coached in it. And that's what I'm so excited about because I think, like, you know, they've, they've, they're living on, like, the back of that, and, like, now it's time to create your own. Um, one thing I want to point out, because obviously we talked about it, and someone brought it up to me. Because you know how when Tom left New England, it was, oh, who's going to replace Tom? I'm of the mindset and the belief that whoever's coming in at quarterback and and for Gerard Mayo coming in as head coach, I don't think there's as much pressure to live up to the expectation because, for one, the way the last season ended, but also, to the fact that it's not like Bill Belichick went out on a Super Bowl. You know, the, the last four years were pretty lean, to say the least, considering, look, there was a playoff appearance, but you're, you got your butts whooped. Um and, and that, and another point I want to make as well that I hope they go into for, because we're, we're reminiscing about 2014, is I, I love this game, but I hate this game, and it's the 2014 game against the Baltimore Ravens in the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah. That's just, that's just a wish of mine. And also, to the back, if they do show those highlights, please play Your Love by the Outfield, because that's the song that became the rally. My right goodness. That night, that night was just so insane. Like, I would have paid any amount of money to be at that game, just because, like, I remember watching the game and I was with my uh, in-laws and we were, you know, really at the time they weren't my in-laws. They were just, you know, my, my, quote unquote, my girlfriend at the time's, uh, you know, parents were married now. Um, but we were at their place and it was their first time like that. I was like there. And to that point, um, like I'm, they, you know, they were like, oh, McGarvin, you're really quiet, which no one has ever said to me before. And I don't think anyone has ever said since, uh, but they're like, oh, you're so quiet. Is there anything that really gets you going? And I'm like, well, I like the Patriots. And they're like, all right, we're going to watch the game. All right. I was like, all right, fine. We're watching the Patriots. And, you know, from there, I kind of showed, you know, showed who I am. And they're like, oh, my God. And I'm like, I remember I, I punched the ceiling. I was so excited after the double pass, the the, the Edelman double pass, because it was so – it was one of those things that, like, the minute they dropped back, right, Edelman goes on the bubble. And I'm like, holy shit, they're going to throw it. And my father-in-law is like, what? And so they, they threw the lateral – and I'm like, he's gonna throw it, and then he threw it, and I was like, oh my god! And, and I, I, the, the the house like exploded, and I remember punching the ceiling, and I was like, oh my god, I did not mean to punch the ceiling. Mind you, the ceiling is like eight feet, so I got some air. I was like, I'm pretty <laughs> impressed with myself. I got up there, but I was like, holy shit, that game will never not be super special to me, um, especially because 
the the crowd was the loudest I've ever heard at Gillette. Like you're 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 watching it through TV and you're like, holy shit, they're so loud. Like the music was blaring, everyone was dancing. I'm like, my goodness. Yeah. Holy shit. But speaking I, of that, 2016, I need to see when they do the 2016 recap. Yeah. Um, I want to dance with somebody. With Marty with the pom-poms, uh, dancing with the Gotta happen. Has to happen. There's another one of those. Patriots of the Dynasty Holy one shit. Of the underrated Patriots. My goodness. So my, my thing with the Ravens, baby. my thing with the Ravens that I love is I'm dating a Baltimore boy. So like anytime I can talk and he's like diehard Ravens fan. So anytime I can be like, yeah, remember that game? It's my favorite thing ever. So I'm going to clip this part of the podcast and just send that to him tonight. Man, what um, a special night. Oh. That was good. But to the 2016 one, this is one of my like all-time favorite stories to tell just about like my family watching that game, which was that that comeback. So we always went, we always go to my aunt's house for the Super Bowl. That was like our tradition growing up. Uh, we would always watch with them and we'd have like a little Super Bowl party and everything and so that game we all go we're watching and it's just dead silent at um at halftime like my my cousin her now husband was at the game um and he was like so depressed there you know wasn't enjoying anything because they were down and you know we're all so quiet we're like oh my god this game what is happening and the comeback starts and we're screaming our heads off you know like we thought we were going to get noise complaints and everything. And I just remember my, my dad and my uncle, they're like so close. And when they, when the Pats won that in overtime, that game, the two of them are literally sit, like hugging each other. I can oh, picture I it. it to this day, hugging each other with like, not like tears, but they're like teary eyed and they're choked up and they're like, I'm never watching without you. <laughs> All this stuff. And it was like, I will for that moment is forever ingrained in my mind from that win because that's like it's just my favorite story to tell because it just makes me smile so much to think like of that moment and just how unexpected and how excited we were to just see like see them come back like that that super bowl is special for me the 28 to 3 one i one thing i remember before everything happened was i was like lady gaga's performing and i'm like just sitting there visibly yeah. pissed off and mad yeah i remember going uh i think it was either when they made it, when they went up 23, I'm trying to remember who the 28 touchdown was. I think it was Tevin Coleman just it was running at the end. Yep, just, yeah. just outran uh, Nikovich to the edge. Insane. And, and I go into the garage just to have like a pep talk to myself, just to be like all this stuff. And then they get the field goal. And then my mom's like, oh, they can come back. And we're all like, my, I remember my cousin, like it was my cousin was there. A bunch of friends of mine were there. I'm going to show a photo in a little bit. And I remember him saying all this stuff, stuff, stuff to happen. But mm -hmm. I still say this. If it's not for the man who's on my back right now getting a strip sack of Matt Ryan, I don't know if they win that football game. I will go yeah. to the grave with that saying. Mm -hmm. And they come back, and you can play the, the Joe Buck call in my head a million times. And then there's – I'm going to see how good it comes up, but there's a photo of us and me and another friend are holding a Tom Brady jersey, but we all basically are – like all of us are Patriots fans there. That was also the first one with my now fiancé, soon-to-be wife, the first rule her and I ever watched because I got lucky and found a Patriots fan. But we're all kind of just holding the – I'll zoom in on me, but, like, we all just got, like, the five up just like that after that because it's number five. So it's just – I as soon as we were going in and talking about that Super Bowl, that's why that's so special to me. Same with that game. I always remember that mm -hmm. watching that replay with Marty and the cheerleaders a thousand yeah. times that night, singing I Want to Dance to Somebody by Whitney Houston. Like, there's just so many good moments. It's just the your loved ones really sticks out to me. Um, one thing I really want to do with you guys, I, I know it's kind of – off the cusp, but it's not Patriot related. But Adam Schefter came out today with 
a tag a potential list of tag candidates. Mm-hmm. Deadline's obviously coming up in a few uh, two weeks actually. And that's the thing I love about the NFL, how it's just like, hey, Super Bowl's done, boom, right into the offseason stuff. It's really a year-round machine. But he's said out of the list of candidates, I just want to go through with them with you guys and say tag or like tagged or not tagged. Mm-hmm. Like for well, example. The one thing I want to point out that I think is super interesting is that the Buccaneers have already, it's being reported that they're going to tag Winfield Jr. And not Baker Mayfield. And I think as Patriots fans, everyone should be keeping a very, very close eye on what is done there. Because if you can get Baker to New England, plus, you know, a rookie quarterback to work with him, I think that's, I'm, I'm all for that. (laughs) I'm more interested to see the Mike Evans situation unfold because of that. Because I don't know if you saw his wall today, but there's a report apparently they have to make a decision today. Otherwise, they eat $7 million in dead cap as well. And for Mike Evans, too, I, I still say this right now, most underrated player in the NFL. I know he's up there, but every year he's been putting up 1,000 yards. And that's with some pretty bad bad quarterbacks. I will just say on Mike Evans, I uh, am one of those people who underrated him for years. And I was just like, oh, yeah, you know, they're like, oh, yeah, 1,000-yard seasons every year. And I'm like, yeah, but he's like, he's good, but he's not, you know, not Hall of Fame. He's not great. Um, and, and I don't know. I really don't know why. Um, it wasn't until the year he had with Jameis, the 30-30 year, that I'm like, this guy's unguardable. Like, why, why, why do I keep thinking in my mind he's not that good? I always thought he was just good. I didn't really, like, he's one of the best receivers in the league year in yeah. and year out, and I just never give him the, that, that props in my head. It's almost like A.J. Green to an extent, because for a long while I was on the, I was like, oh, A.J. Green's cool. He's not one of the best five receivers in the league, but he's like, he's good, maybe top 10. And then I realized, like, no, you're stupid. Yes, he is. He's one of the best guys to, like, line it up. What are we doing here? So my, uh, Mike Evans, that's me right there. I, I I definitely underrated him. Hey, Baker throwing up Mike Evans in Foxborough next year? I've been saying that Mike Evans, I don't like saying this, but I have a really weird feeling he's going to end up in Kansas City. I just have a really weird feeling he's yeah. – That would be sick. Uh, well, not, you know, not if you're not a Chiefs fan, but that would be sick for football reasons. <laughs> if you're a fan of the Broncos, Chargers, or Raiders – yeah, that Sorry. would be great. But if you just like watching like sick football, that'll probably be it. Be I say that just because it's like they have this money now to spend on a wide receiver one, and I'm like, he's the guy I look at to where I'm like, they have a real chance to get him. The the Winfield situation is very interesting because like, look, Winfield's a deserving candidate of it, but at the same time too, if you can keep that continuity together with Baker and Evans, otherwise, if you lose both, I don't know how good Tampa is going to be next year. So. Mm-hmm. I would I think not. There's protect- no shot they let him out. There's no way. There's no way. No. Um, I, I think they get a deal done, and I think that's the reason you say that you know, they'll tag Winfield, um, mm-hmm. only because they just assume that Baker is going to get done. I think it gets done because there's no way. Um, I don't think he's a world beater. He didn't light the league on fire. I thought he was pretty good though, and yeah. pretty good quarterbacks get paid. Mike Cadlick of WEEI had a very good. Uh, I guess he was trying to put it out into the universe earlier today. There, and Rick Stroud just completely was like, "Nope, nope, 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 not happening." Nope, nope. nope. <laughs> okay. Yeah, like I'll pull up the action because the tweet was out a couple hours ago. But uh, oh, uh, he basically Mike said this would mean quarterback Mayfield Bayfield set to become an unrestricted free agent in March. Mayfield has connections to obviously Wolf, Alonzo Highsmith, Alex Van Pelt. Apparently, the Patriots makes a lot of sense. To which Rick said. Wouldn't bet on it. They won't have to use a franchise tag on Baker to sign him to a long-term deal. Both yep. want to get something done in Tampa Bay. So, there look, at the end of the day, that's, I don't that's like what it. I thought as well, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, we all knew it was going to happen, but yeah. the little part of my brain who's like, Patriots need a quarterback. I think it'd be like, fun. It would It would be so fun if that happened. I just, I, I, I'm not ready for heartbreak, so I didn't want to give yeah. myself any hope. 
So I'm like, no, it's fine. He's just going to stay in Tampa because they hate us. I'm going to view it <laughs> as like I did the wide the tight ends a few years ago where I'm like, you know what? It'd be nice to get one of John New or Hunter and win both. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. um, one that really intrigues me on this list is uh, Jalen Johnson of the Chicago Bears. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting one as well. Um, only because heading into, you know, the trade deadline, it felt like it was – a foregone conclusion that they were going to trade him, right? They were just going to move on from him. And then Adam had the tweet on that Tuesday, like, they're not going to trade him. They're going to, you know, get back to working on a, you know, to the offseason and working on an extension. So I, I think it's really interesting that now he's a tag candidate. I don't really know that that's going to happen. I think they either sign him to an extension or they let him walk. I don't think it makes sense um, to tag Jalen Johnson um, if he's not interested in you know, staying long-term and you're not interested in giving him long-term money. I don't think a year, a year to year situation makes sense, especially given that they have some good, um, they have some good corners over there, right? You have Kyler Gordon, who I think, I mean, I thought from his rookie year, he was, he had a rough start to his rookie year, but I think he was a good player overall. Uh, and he really rounded into form uh, this year. They have uh, Tyreek Stevenson, you know, uh, obviously came in, <laughs> came in very good right from the jump. So I, I really don't, think they need to tag Jalen Johnson and yes he is a very good player I just don't think it makes sense for where their team is right now right I I think they draft a quarterback one overall I've, I've been I've maintained that and I know there are a lot of people well maybe they'll keep Justin Fields I really don't see that um, I think they got to draft a quarterback and I think they're in a rebuild and I don't think it makes sense to tag corner in a rebuild maybe an O-lineman because you obviously want to you know protect your quarterback um, maybe a receiver because you want to keep good skill guys around I just I can't understand the logic of, hey, we're a team that's rebuilding, but let's sign a corner to a one-year deal uh, worth, you know, $18, 19000000 million uh, just for him to walk next year anyway. Yeah. Uh, two, so, so there's two players on this list I want to put out into the universe that are going to be Patriots. But I, before I do that, <laughs> do you take a look at Eddie Jackson as a cheap option for New England, or do you not, pay, do you not open that door? I do. But I'm biased, so yeah, I, I would absolutely go Eddie Jackson. Oh, I wonder um, why. Yeah, no, <laughs> no right. Um, I would absolutely take him. Um, if nothing else, we know that Adrian Phillips just got released earlier today. That's um, why I asked the question. Jalen's right, probably not coming back. We know that Jalen Jalen um, Jalen Mills is probably not coming back this year. Uh, they have Josh Bledsoe under contract, but he hasn't really found a role in the secondary. Uh, Kyle Duggar is in a walk year, right? Oh, well, he's you know, a free agent he's at the end the, of this year, and yeah. then you have Peppers. So. I think I think you absolutely bring in another safety, regardless of what you do with Kyle Duggar. I think you bring in another safety if you want to keep running that kind of three safety, big nickel at your base defense kind of scheme. No, I agree. I, I definitely think that's a good call. You have, you know, you've already. I think they're setting it up that they're going to bring in a safety, obviously, just because and like they have to. They have the money to spend. Mm -hmm. and it, you said it, it's a cheap. It's a cheaper option to get pretty decent safety. Yep. And I think that's a that's a perfect way to do it. So I'm all for that one. One receiver I'm not getting my hopes up for because I do think T. Higgins does get tagged by the Bengals. Jamar Chase gets a bag. I do think Joel Mixon ends up getting traded. I don't know how many people have been seeing this, but it's been like little – I don't want to take as much because I've seen – it's like those like NFL bot accounts that are saying it, but it wouldn't shock me to see because Joel Mixon's making anything about 16 or 17, so if they want to get out from underneath him – 16 or 17? Yeah. No way. Yeah. Joel, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look up the contract, but I remember he held out a couple Holy of Holy cow. I, I yeah. didn't realize it was such a big number. Holy smokes! Four-year, forty-eight million dollar deal. So uh, it might be a, oh, it might be a little bit less than sixteen to seventeen. But uh, his signing bonus was ten million. His average salary is twelve, and his total guarantees at signing were ten million as well. So he's got one year left at 
the twelve million dollar hit. So if they can get out from underneath that, holy cow, bring in a cheaper option or draft someone. Because yeah. like I said, Jamar Chase is going to get a bag this offseason. Yeah. yeah, twelve million is way too much for uh, for Joe Mixon, and I, I think he's a good player. I just not not for a team that you know has Super Bowl aspirations and they really want to keep that core together. If you're gonna you know keep T Higgins, which I do agree, I think they're going to tag him. Um, and you know that you know, Jamar Chase is going to get paid. He has to get paid. Um, at that point, you can go ahead and move on from the running back unless you want to move Tyler Boyd. And I don't think that that's that far-fetched. Is he a free agent, Tyler Boyd? Yeah. The, uh, oh, I, didn't, I hadn't realized. Cool. Yeah. So they could be able to move on from Mixon. And they also do have, I think they're right behind the Patriots in terms of cap dollars as well. They're, I think, 56 or $58 million of cap room they have as well. So... We know at least 25 mil of that's going to Jamar, so we'll see what happens. Um, but the two that I'm going to put into the universe that the Patriots do sign, one is Indianapolis Colts wide receiver Michael Pittman Jr., because I've loved him since his rookie season. And the other is someone McGarvin was talking about earlier today in Miami defensive tackle, Christian Wilkins. Yes. yes. That would be a lot of fun. Um, you know, he grew up in Massachusetts. That would be a great homecoming. Um, and he's a dominant player, and I would love to root for him again. But right now he's a Dolphin, so I'd – Every time he makes a play, I have to be like, God damn it. Uh, so it'd be nice if he either leaves Miami and goes anywhere or in a perfect world, he comes on home. That would be sick. No, that, it, it would be really cool to have him back in, you know, back in New England after he, I mean, he grew up in Framingham. <laughs> like, yeah. it's not even that far from From Foxborough, exactly. So go ahead. Um, I just, I don't know if Miami can keep him. People are telling me that they don't have the cap space to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of hope they don't because it would just make yeah. their... D-line a little worse, and I think their D-line is pretty good right now. You have, obviously, Jalen Phillips is a good player. Zach Seiler is um, is an absolute stud, uh, and the only people who don't think so are people who just don't know him, right? Uh, he's a very good player. I would love for their for their D-line to get worse. Um, I would love <laughs> nothing but bad things for Miami. No, I think that's a good one. And with Michael Pittman, I, I agree. I think that would be a great option for the Patriots to bring in. I mean, he's a great receiver. Yep. I, I, he's not like this top one that's – like a T Higgins level that's going to need mega, mega money. He's going to need mega money, but not mega, mega. <laughs> <laughs> not get crazy here. Um, not get crazy. Today's podcast title, by the way. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I definitely think that's a very solid choice for the Patriots to pursue this offseason. Because, like, he's played with different quarterbacks throughout his whole career, but he's also that kind of player that they bring in. I feel like Pat's hands are going to be like, oh, but this isn't the big name, but it's the same sort of thing where it's like you truly haven't seen Michael Pittman play. It's taken him a while, but last year he really showed that, hey, he can be that solid player. And also, I'm going to say this, because like, I don't want to see them bring in, like, a Gabe Davis, who I feel like is going to cost them yeah. too much money. I feel like you can get Michael Pittman at, like, a well <laughs> million dollar hit. I'm just looking at McGarvey's Please, please. If, if they bring in 13, I will cry. I, do oh. y'all want to see me cry? Because I will cry. I, 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 not, I, I would love to see I them. do not I, believe in Gabe Davis. I just don't. I, I oh. know this, that that playoff game really warps the perception. He's not that good. I'm. It's me. Hi. I'm the I'm the <laughs> oh. person who got warped playoff perceptions. I tried playing off uh, anti-hero there to Sophie. Um I'm it. the one who bought into the perceptions of Gabe Davis after that playoff game. Oh, I just um, I he he's great not that good. Game. No, yeah, and then he disappeared because that's what he does. <laughs> he only catches the hard wide receivers. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> yeah, you know, we don't have like one good game where you're like, holy crap, and he's like 25 fantasy football points, and then like the next week he puts up like three. Um, yep. I only saying the Gabe Davis thing because I think either he's going to take a cheap haircut to stay in Buffalo. Or you're going to get some stupid team with too much cap room, I, aka the Chicago Bears, 
giving him like 15, 16 million dollars a year. Yeah. I because like I know I've spoken to Buffalo people about this, and they've already said if he can get what Jacoby or Smith Schuster got, fine, keep him in Buffalo. But if he's gonna want 15, 16 million, kind of like what happened last year with Edmonds, it's the same sort of thing. They have no problem with letting him walk because let's be honest. I'd rather be in a situation New England's in where you're trying to figure everything out with cap room than in Buffalo where it's kind of like, hey, uh, clock's a ticking. Yeah. Also, Plus I said too because I take joy in them losing. I also take joy in them losing, yes. Um, Khalil Shakir <laughs> has also really come on over the last few uh, – oh, down the stretch, right? Um, yeah. And he's he's a player I wanted uh, wanted for the Patriots coming out of Boise State in the first place. Um, so, you know, I'm excited that he's playing well. I'm not excited that he's playing well for the Bills, but I'm not going <laughs> to hit on my guy. But uh, I think you can let him walk. Uh, you can let Gabe Davis walk and kind of rebuild that uh, situation. And I know that the, the argument for keeping Davis in that is that, you know, no one else they have is a field stretcher, right? Stefan Diggs isn't really that guy. He's just, he's a, you know, technician of a route runner, but he's not like a, you know, hey, someone watch over the top because he will run past you kind of situation. Uh, Khalil Shakir, that's not his game. You have the two tight ends, obviously not their game. So yeah, you have a field stretcher there, but I don't think it makes sense to pay 12, 13, 14 million dollars for who will probably end up being your third best receiver uh, who disappears for stretches and isn't that good in the first place. And besides, Malachi Corley will be available on day two or day three for the Patriots to draft into Western Kentucky. As, as soon as I see those highlights, I'm just like, yeah, I'm cool with that. Um, but, but no, it's – it's <sighs> Buffalo's in a very tricky situation just because it's kind of like you have to make the right – it's not like, you know, in New England, how we talk about the lean years where it's like, hey, you got to make move X and move Y. It's kind of like you need to make the move right now in order to win because it's kind of like you get to a certain point and then you just kind of – it's like that golden retriever video everyone sees online where the dogs just completely pissing themselves, which they've done in the playoffs the last three years. Um, but like we say, I like Josh Allen. I yeah. don't like that he plays for Buffalo. I don't like that he's so damn likable and plays on Buffalo. Um, mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, that I know that team and that fan base wants a winning product because they live and breathe by their bills. Yeah. But like I say too, I don't want to. I don't want to be in their position right now. And one other point I want to make as well. Also, too, I just wanted to say this too that we said our just. I'm just really glad everything's going better in Kansas City now. Everything that happened at the parade yes. that I saw mm-hmm. that everyone, all the children that were at the hospital were discharged, discharged from I believe it's uh, Mercy uh, Children's Mercy. Um, but is the fact that the Patriots were not involved in the Patrick Mahomes like just rip through your heart tour, kind of like. McGarvin and I talked about this after the divisional round game, but do you remember when they lost it and you see that kid, that man in the crowd just absolutely overcome <laughs> where it's just like, yeah. I'm just glad I'm like, I'm glad that's not me. I'm just glad I'm not, <laughs> we were on the other side of that. We were ripping hearts out and not getting our hearts ripped out. Because even yeah. though the wild card game we had, that had it happen to us, it wasn't like, yeah, we were expected to go far. It's just, hey, we're happy to be there. Yep. No, agreed. And on the Kansas City thing, I also just want to say, like, um, I really commend, like, what that city and what that team did in light of everything that happened. Um, You know, seeing the team start the fundraiser, seeing Taylor and Travis donate, you know, $100,000 each, seeing Brittany and um, Patrick go to the hospital for those victims to hang with them. So just um, for my little to get like a quick little word out on that. I was really, really, it, you know, just was amazing to see. It's kind of amazing to see what football can kind of, yeah. how football kind of brings the best out of people, even though 
a lot of people like talk about the negatives and how you see a lot of mm-hmm. stuff like what can happen in the crowds and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, we just remember that it's a game. We watch it once a week. It's a great escape. And we love it. And to see all the teams, like, you know, send their wishes. I think the Panthers donated um, to, like, you know, the the Kansas City support fund and all that. I'm sure other teams did. I just know that I know the Panthers were definitely one of them. Um, it's just so amazing to see, like, the support um, from teams and from everyone. You know, I was, I was, I was on the GoFundMe at one point, um, you know, just I had donated a little bit and I was looking and I remember seeing like, you know, some of the comments were like, you know, sending our love from like a Raiders fan, sending our love from a charge, you know, everyone was just rallying behind them. And it was really great to see. For sure. Um, It's one of those things that you don't expect to happen, right? Like no one expects a shooting to break out at a, at a you know, parade, right? Something, something joyous. We're all trying to have a good time. Um, and it reminds you that even, even, you know, the staunchest rivals, um, everyone grows a heart uh, when it's needed, right? Like the colors go all the way. We, we, you know, they're not the Kansas city chiefs. They're just a group of, you know, that we're not worried now about, you know, Kansas city, the, the, the team that we hate or the city that we hate that has a team that we hate or whatever the case is, we're just looking at, Hey, the city's going through a tough time right now. Let's reach out and support. Um, and I love that football's um, football's a great unifier in that, in that, um, yeah. It reminds me of earlier when you were telling the story of your uh, your dad and your uncle hugging and all that. And I thought of it then, and I'm going to reiterate it now, that football really does bring out like the absolute best in people. Yes, it brings out the worst in people as well. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But it brings out the absolute best in people, and it, it does such a good job of unifying people. And you, you never see that more on display than when something happens in the NFL community, like rallies together and is like, hey, let's, let's, let's do what we can. Yeah. Not the worst than me smashing a glass into the sink when the Patriots get their butts whooped in that Chiefs game in 2014, but here we are. <laughs> True story. Listen, it's anger and it's ha- you know coming together all in all in one happy messed up family of the NFL. <laughs> it's like all your it's like all the mental emotions all in one. It's kind of like I remember seeing recently that like Apple Watch was gonna like. Up, do an update so where it can give you alerts on mental health and everyone's just going, great, you're going to see me spike on Sundays. It's going to be wonderful. <laughs> like how it's just like, I remember even yesterday, like just speaking with my mom and she didn't realize until the moments of there's no football until you realize, holy crap, like we missed this where it's this thing now that we're avoid of for the next seven months, but not here, not the three of us. We'll be here talking about the game processing everything because the train doesn't stop um and then even still ufl mcgarvin specialty is back in about oh, six yeah weeks. oh yeah march 30th my, let's get it my pride and joy cfl back june 6th so football's football's like the never-ending cycle and i and i i, I kind of love it and i kind of love talking to the two of you guys because at the end of the day we are you know what it's kind of weird that i always say this that with me coming up to almost 300 episodes that I've just basically come on here and talk with people from the internet. And why? Cause damn it. We love football. <laughs> Absolutely. Damn right. But guys, that's going to do it for today's episode of YWC football talk 282 in the bag. We'll see you next time. I'm probably back later this week. Just have to confirm the guest. I will leave that information to Twitter for when it's released. Have a good night, everyone. Bye. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? 
Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com.